Hi, I'm Lydia. And I'm Sonika. And welcome to Pop Rocks and Tea, a podcast about all things pop culture. And all the tea that comes with it. All right. Swifties, (laughs) you've been waiting for it. I'm a little bit scared, but I'm also like, I'm ready for the hate. (laughs) I'm mentally prepared now. Yep. So if you haven't already guessed, uh, we're going to be talking about Taylor Swift's new album, Midnight's, which came out on October 21st. And to talk about it with us is a good friend of mine and my resident Swifty friend, Eric Perles. Welcome to the show. Hello. Glad to be here. All right. So I right. figure we kind of just take this track by track, talk about what we liked, what we didn't like. So I just want the record to be clear. I like Taylor Swift. Okay, I I was like a Swifty up until Reputation. And then I was like, "Mm, this is too much. But I like Taylor Swift. I'm here to support her whenever I can. As do I. I mean, I would consider myself, like, I (laughs) think when she puts out good music... I'm going to appreciate mm-hmm. it and I will talk about it and I will listen to it frequently. I mm-hmm. would not call myself, I guess, like a diehard fan, but, mm-hmm. you know, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And I'm going to be very different from that as someone who's <laughs> in the top, I think, half percent of listeners on Spotify last year or something either, like close to that. Oh my God. That's wild. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Okay, Eric, I'm so curious. So first, what were you expecting from this album? Yeah, I mean, I think my expectations were really met for this album. There was a lot of talk leading up to it as very similar to melodrama from Lord, this very minimalist style, synth heavy. And I think it that was exactly on the mark. Like if you could describe this album in one word, it's just synths. And I think that the album as a whole is incredibly cohesive in a way that some of her previous albums were not. I do not think the quality of the album shifted much song to song. I think there are obviously a few standout songs from the album by far, but there was nothing in there that was, this song is an absolute skip. It's awful, which is obviously very rare for her, but you know, there's, a handful of songs that even your diehard Swifties would be like, yeah, if you're not in the mood, you're going to hit skip on that. And this one also wasn't filled necessarily with songs that, the songs that really like, when you think of Taylor Swift's a handful of songs that she's most well known for, let alone just the radio hits, but obviously like all too well. There, there was no equivalent of that in this album, but that doesn't mean it was a bad album. It was a fantastic album, in my opinion. I'd give it, a good nine out of ten so I just think it was like the quality of it was so consistent which gave it this narrative cohesion all throughout that really was reflective of when she first announced it being an album talking about her the the midnights that she would stay awake thinking about her insecurities her dreams her hopes and she really followed through on that no, I definitely I definitely agree with that. Like there is a clear vision and like idea throughout the album. So I definitely agree with like it is the probably one of her most like cohesive in the sense of like there is one theme, there's one sound. Uh, but yeah, you're right. There's like no there's no all too well. There's no like mm-hmm. standout 
track, at least for me. Like, I think there's definitely, like, I think we all have, you know, our favorites and our least favorites, but like, there definitely wasn't anything that was like, you know? I actually probably disagree with the cohesion part. I think that it's it's weird because it makes sense as to why, I don't know, each song was like a little bit <laughs> not cohesive. Um because it's like different topics for each song and I do think sound wise there was like that consistency with the synth but I don't know I think like my biggest issue with it was probably the writing yeah I would agree with that because all I mean her previous albums the reason that I think songs like all too well and like I mean even if you want to go back to like love story and like her originals right like I think a big part of it is the songwriting and I felt like that really took away from the potential that this album could have had yeah and also like Sonica already did a review of Midnight's album for (laughs) the Hindu and the Swifties (laughs) got destroyed not happy about it destroyed completely I I know I was really like I log on to Twitter um on Sunday and I, like, didn't really go on Twitter all day Saturday. And I have, like, 40 notifications. And I was like, mm, I'm verified, but I'm not that I'm not that kind of verified. And it's all just Sifties attacking me. And I was like, what happened to the lyrics in Taylor's very popular song, Mean? <laughs> you know, that, that one song. Oh, my God. I'm, like, forgetting the name where it's, like, you're taking shots of me. Like, it's oh my Patron. God. And I'm like, damn, it's 7 a.m. Yeah, oh, that's the, you need to calm yeah, down. Yeah, you need to calm down from Lover, which I think is a great segue because for me, this Midnight's lyricism felt heavily inspired by 1989, Reputation, and Lover, where as opposed to her, everything mm-hmm. from debut through Red and Folklore Evermore eras that were, you could argue, lyrically complex, where especially for some of the newer age Swifties that came in with Folklore and Evermore, especially during the height of the pandemic, where the lyrics were really poetic in a way. Whereas 1989 through Lover, where there's still great songwriting, but it wasn't that same complexity, it wasn't that same poeticism. And I think Midnight's is very much in that vein, but it's a, it, I still view the lyricism of Midnight's as a step further than those three albums but then you of course get certain lines like sexy baby like yeah like I, oh, I we're gonna get there that's, <laughs> yeah that, that, that's just the line <laughs> that everyone's gonna have to grapple with for years to come and just really decide what the what she meant but there's also I think especially like Maroon when which we'll get to later Maroon was a in my opinion one of the better lyrically composed songs on the album yeah yeah, I think with that, we can we can just segue right in. So starting with track one, Lavender Haze. First of all, one thing that like I found with this album was like a lot of songs sound like songs that she's done previously. And this one to me sounded a lot like I think she knows or think I think he knows. That's the name of the song. It just the, the same type of like poppy kind of feel about a new relationship 
it's also supposed to be about her relationship with Joe Alwyn in the sense of like it's about you know having that kind of relationship like private to yourself rather than like sharing it with everybody and like you just want to like stay in that own little bubble I didn't hate this song I just feel like it sounded like something I've heard before no absolutely and I think that's actually I'm not sure if I'd call it a criticism but definitely a comment on a lot of Midnight's is you pick up traces of previous songs that she's done and I can't tell you the number of TikToks I've seen that people have already mashing up Midnight songs with some of her older works and it just flows so easily because of that and I think I'm not like I'm not sure if I'm going to levy that as a criticism as much as it's also like a very specific choice that she's making where a lot of the songs from Midnight's do direct callbacks to previous albums um, I know it's a song we just mentioned, Maroon, is very much a direct callback to a lot of the motifs from Red and plays along like a lot of the color theory that she invokes throughout her music. Um, but yeah, this song definitely starts off in a very recognizable way. And she really, really, it's the Leonardo DiCaprio meme of him pointing at the TV with the first opening line being Meet Me at Midnight. It's like, okay, I guess we know why we're calling this album Midnight's already. Yeah, I think that's a good like segue, I guess, to talk about Maroon. Which, funny enough, I thought Maroon sounded like King of My Heart off of Reputation. But then that, the lyric that really trips me up at that song is like, so scarlet, it was maroon. Like, it was so one I- color <laughs> that it was another it was color. Another. <laughs> yeah, so I, one of my friends mentioned this to me, and I've been thinking about this lyric since the album was released, pretty much. Um and I think it really plays on the theme going back to Red, talking about this like red hot, passionate romance that she lays out in the opening track of that album, which she then kind of comes back to during Lover in Afterglow, saying it's it's not red, it's golden, and saying this it's so scarlet it was maroon, where scarlet to me invokes a very active shade of like red. And maroon is a more subtle, it's calmer, it's safer in a way. And I think that's kind of the image I got from this, where she was talking about it was so passionate at first. And now that, especially because this is kind of talking about from the post-relationship point of view, it's this more calm, retrospective look at it, where in the moment she wasn't realizing it for what it was. And now that we're looking back at that relationship. She can't get her mind off of it. Of course, she's forced to think about it all the time with the different items she talks about, the uh, Weinstein t-shirt, um, all the bruises on her collarbone that were the hickeys. It's, these are all things that she's forced to grapple with um, and how those colors dull out over time as she gets further and further away from it and she's able to look at it through a clearer, calmer point of view. That's like a really good point. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. That could be it. Like, I think you just cracked the code. I don't know. (laughs) Well, well, also, it's interesting because it's like maroon obviously is a much darker shade of red. And I think, you know, the red that I think of in the song Red is like the bright red that's like the red of like the heart emoji, right? Like like a crimson. But then this is like, yeah, like, like a very like primary color red. And here with maroon, you've got that like darkness 
to it. And also uh, the song is definitely more sensual. <laughs> um, this was one of my more, I think Lavender Haze and Maroon were probably my favorites from this album. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm surprised you said that because I feel like there's, I don't know. I feel like there are other tracks that you would have liked more than others. But moving on mm-hmm. to Antihero, which is the first single off this album and also came with a music video. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. It's a no for me. <laughs> I. Here's the thing, right? To me, like, of course, everyone I've laid you know, in bed in the middle of the night and been like, I hate this about myself. I hate that about myself. Like, you know, I've had all of those insecurities that she's had. I have thought, yes, it's me. I'm the problem. Like (laughs) multiple times. But I just think that once again, this was such a lost opportunity. Like this could have been something like to me, it just sounded almost like she was like listing out all of the things that she hates about herself in a very simplistic way and paired it with like this really upbeat poppy track and maybe that's supposed to that like juxtaposition is supposed to add something to it but it just like really it like felt almost like cognitive dissonance to me where she's like saying all of these things she hates about herself but like sounds so upbeat and happy and of course sometimes I feel like everybody is a sexy baby what (laughs) And then it's like, and then it's like something about a monster on the hill. Um, I also thought it was like, she says like, oh, at tea time, everybody agrees. What does that mean? Is that like an Alice in Wonderland reference? Maybe. So yeah, like that, that's the other thing. Actually, this is one of the criticisms one of the Swifties off Twitter had for me. It was that I wasn't like understanding some of the references in her songs. And like, like I said, I mean, like, I like Taylor Swift. I'm not following her every move. But yes, there's like a part of like writing lyrics where it's like your fan base is so devoted that like you can take like these little instances from your life and they'll know exactly what you're talking about. But also if like you should also be able to like make music and lyrics that anyone can listen to and not feel like they're like making lyrics up because they sound so random, you know? Eric, let us know if we're missing something. Yeah. So, I mean, I Antihero for me is actually one of the standout songs of the album. I think both motif-wise as well as some of the lyrics, I, I speak deeply to me. And we'll touch on this more with the music video as well, but I think Antihero is really this, like, ode to mental health, anxiety, and self-consciousness in a way that for a lot of people, and I might, I might just be indicting myself here, but really speaks like to my core of a lot of the issues I've grappled with, especially over the last few years. And I think with her, the the position that she's in, where especially over the last couple of years since Folklore, where she was already like one of the biggest music stars in the industry, hands down. But I feel like even over since 2020, she somehow become even larger and almost this beyond lifelike figure where for her she's really talking about how it's hard for her to talk about her own self-perception her own self-doubts without people either invalidating them or she can't really she has these real emotions that it's hard for her to relate to other people with 
because she is this huge star that very few others can relate to. As for some of the lyrics, um, yeah, the Sometimes Everybody's Sexy Baby, I've got no defense for that one. That one kind of took me by surprise too. But I think for at least like the at tea time, it's it's coupled with the beginning of the chorus. It's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. She's saying like, one, I think it's like everybody agrees. It's She thinks everyone around her is agreeing that she's the problem. It's that anxiety of everyone else is thinking about my wrongs the way I'm thinking about them. And I think specifically at tea time is just like when people are together spilling tea about each other. She's excluded from the room. Like a she metaphor thinks, for like spilling the tea, maybe that's it? Yeah. Okay. That's what I got from it. Um, and once again, like a lot of my views on this are like just my personal views. I know Taylor herself has kind of put out some meanings behind some of these lyrics and obviously Swifties who pay a lot more attention even than I do have ascribed their own like uh, thoughts to this. But for me, it was just like when her friends are behind closed doors or just anyone is behind closed doors talking about her, she feels they're talking about the worst of her. And she doesn't have that ability to lean on someone else's shoulders because how can someone like her be supported? She is, and I think the monster on the hill part is she's become this such a big figure that if she puts any burden on her close-knit community, they'll crack under that pressure that she has to put forward this such a strong solid face otherwise people will call her weak emotional which are obviously things that she's been called numerous times especially going back to the reputation era where a lot of this song comes from fundamentally yeah yeah see and this is why we have you here to give us that. Yeah. Because <laughs> I wasn't thinking about it that way. I wasn't sure if it was like, because the way that I came across to me at least was like, it was like her way of kind of being relatable when it comes to these mental health issues that she's experiencing, that her fans might be experiencing and trying to connect with them on that. And I think that with that lyric, it's me, I'm the problem, it's me. Like she accomplished that. But I think some of the other parts of the song are very like, hyper focused to like either her stream of consciousness or like things that she's experienced and is worried about that like message kind of gets lost like when she and this is in the music video as well there's like a whole scene where she like sings this line in the bridge where she's at her funeral and she has this dream that she's at her own funeral and her daughter-in-law killed her for money <laughs> like, yeah at the funeral, everybody's there and, like, arguing and stuff. Wait, 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 you guys. There's probably a secret encoded message that means something else. Yeah, 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 that's what mom would always do. P.S. There's no secret encoded message that means something else. Love, Taylor. And it's, like, cool, but I don't know what to do with this information. <laughs> but, yeah, I just thought it was a, the music video itself was just kind of a little discombobulated i think it started off well with like her like alter ego like chaotic self like that was really clever yeah. and then the rest of it i was kind of just like what's that i that i felt the the chaotic side <laughs> person of me coming out and <laughs> making me do stupid things i was like ah okay hmm with the music video because you know sometimes you see a music video and then you're like on board with the song but 
yeah, once the funeral scene hit, but then also we got to talk about her on the scale, the weighing machine. Yeah. And the. Yeah, talk about that. What is it called? The dial pointing to fat. So Sonica and I have like briefly talked about this before, but basically it's a little problematic only because it's like, I thought that we were done with like shaming bigger bodies and so to kind of like see that yeah I was like I'm not a fan I'm not a fan of that like I get that that's your insecurity I just don't think that was the way to like go about representing that if that makes sense yeah I think had she either like the lyrics around that section of the video been a bit more explicit about that in a different way or yeah like the, the representation of it in the video just was not great at all and I think it's one thing if she was trying to represent it as, like, she feels insecure about how society is viewing her and throwing these labels on her. But it just kind of seemed like she herself was just insecure about that. Which, like, yeah, is, is a, like, do not dismiss people's insecurities, but it just was not a great way of representing it to then not throw those insecurities at her fans who are watching the video at that moment. <laughs> Hi there, it's Editing Lydia here. So after we recorded this episode, Taylor Swift actually did listen to a lot of this criticism about the music video and ended up taking that scene out of the video. So if you go and watch the music video now, that scene is no longer in there. But yeah, just wanted to mention that and back to the review. Okay, snow on the beach. And it's like snow at the beach. We're fucking beautiful, lying in a dream. Listen, miss the mark for me. I was so big time, so excited for this song. I was like, you know what? I think we all were excited. (laughs) I was literally like, okay, shout out to the guy I dated not too long ago. I'm really gonna channel all of the sadness that he like tried to make me feel just so that this song can really hit the spot. I was like. Taylor and Lana, like, I'm ready to be destroyed. I'm ready. I'm ready. And where was Lana? She wasn't there. It just make it makes me sad. <laughs> yeah, real, real big missed opportunity. Like, I think, so I personally don't listen to a lot of Lana, but I really would have appreciated actually, like, hearing her specific vocals yeah. on this. Yeah. <laughs> and... I know there was a lot of jokes in the lead up to this after the song and feature was announced that snow on the beach is absolutely going to be a euphemism for Coke because it's Lana Del Rey and why not? And I think it just, it let us down on both regards. Like I was expecting something very unhinged and I think he gave this like beautiful image. Like, yeah, snow at the beach. It, that's a really like pretty sight. But yeah, this this song was one of the ones where I think once again, artistically, it's still a good sounding song. It just didn't do anything. It didn't do much for me personally. I'll still listen to it gladly, but absolutely one of the biggest misses between expectations and reality on this album. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, you have like two artists that have, again, here, this is where my issue with the lyrics come in. They have so much creative talent and yeah like they could have 
created like this like beautiful imagery with like snow on the beach. It could have been, I mean, the song was about both of them. She wrote snow on the beach, weird, but fucking beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> also, is it that weird? Like if you're in a cold place. I've seen by it the before. Co- yeah. Antarctica. <laughs> I mean, my dad lives at the Jersey Shore. I've seen snow on the beach before. Okay, there we go. There we go. That's a better it's example. Unusual. Like, what is, what is it snow? But it has happened. The other thing I want to bring up just briefly with this song is that like Taylor Swift has admired Lana Del Rey for so long. Like, even in her Billboard yeah. Woman of the Decade speech, she gave a shout out to Lana Del Rey and was basically like, she's one of the best artists of this generation. She is just a brilliant lyricist, yada, yada, and then puts her on this song and she's absent. And it's just like, I, I don't know. Yeah. It really goes into the trend Taylor has where she brings on a very well known feature and they just get like either they don't have their own specific verse or anything, or they have like one line in the song. Yeah. And the one that comes to mind to me is No Body, No Crime featuring Haim. Yeah. Where they're pretty much non-existent in that song. And I think like, well, obviously the relationship between Taylor and Lana Del Rey is different than the relationship between her and Haim. But this is not the first time that, nor the second time that Taylor has brought on a very well-known feature only for them to be seemingly sidelined yeah um track five is you're on your own kid i thought this was probably the weakest track five she's ever put on an album like let's think about her track fives right all too well is a track five white horse is one all you have to do is stay. I like that one. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, that one was great. Tolerate it. Tolerate the track five. That song hurts. Oh, and My Tears Ricochet is a track five too. Like track five, her thing is like, it's going to be heartbreaking. It's going to pull at your heartstrings. It's going to make you feel something. And this was not giving. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think this is, th- there. Like, there's a couple songs in here that like we'll still gladly listen to, but I at this point have only having listened to Midnight's just a handful of times, I can't recall a single thought when this song came on where I was like, hmm, I have a really complex thought about this. I was just kind of like listening. I was like, okay, good. Next. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't really figure out what the song was about. Like, I think it's, if I were to guess, Same. I think it's about like her rise to fame and her adjustment to like, being famous i guess because she talks about like oh her friends from home are talking about her and like they think differently about her and she's just trying to build her career and she's made missteps and i was like okay but it just feels like really discombobulated and she also references her eating disorder Mm -hmm. very briefly but yeah i think sonically it's like pretty chill but i it's just not very it wasn't very memorable for me. I don't remember. Like, you couldn't tell me how the song goes. I just know, like, the you're, on, you're on your own, kid. Always have been. That's all I remember. Yeah. And then that transitions into Midnight Rain. He was sunshine. I was midnight. He wanted a comfortable. I wanted that Which sounds like a song off of Reputation, straight up. Yeah. Like, it sounds it like does. a Reputation. It sounds like a classic Jack Antonoff-produced song. Mm-hmm. Like... 
the second the song opened up, it was like, okay, yeah, Jack Antonoff is on this. And I'm not, I'm not going to comment on, because I know, like, apparently he's a very divisive producer, which I found out over the weekend. I have kind of just, like, appreciated his work for what it is. But there was this one TikTok or video that I saw of someone who had not listened to Midnight's yet, went album, went song by song, and within the first five seconds can tell you whether Antonoff was on it or not and got each of them correct. Oh, wow. And this one, I don't even think he waited half a second. Wow. He just heard it and went, yeah, moved on. And, like, obviously, like, Antonoff is literally all over this album. But this song I really did like. I pray for the people who turned on this track with their headphones at full volume. Uh, But I think it's a good track overall. It's just, it has Jack Antonoff written all over it and it's something where if you're not a Jack Antonoff fan you're you might have a tough time with this song yeah I I did like this song actually it it fit the mood it had good energy I think it was a good like launching pad into the second half of the album where she's really going into that like revenge mode and yeah like you know she's I make making my own name like he wanted a bride he stayed the same like that kind of like I was like yeah you do you girl (laughs) like People are also speculating that this is about Tom Hiddleston. I don't know if we can confirm that at all, but I've seen a lot of things swirling online that it could be about him because he allegedly proposed to her at some point. My understanding was this was about Taylor Lautner. Taylor Lautner. And how her making a name for herself is a reflection of had they gotten married, they would both be Taylor Lautner. Oh, yeah. Wait. So, oh, it could. And also, it's an I. Oh God, I'm gonna get so ratioed for this. Um, I have not seen the entire Twilight Saga, so <laughs> I have very little knowledge of everything in this. But apparently, um, uh, what what's his name? The vampire. Edward. Edward. Yes. Sorry. Uh, Edward's character. His apparently his perspective is called like the Midnight Sun, and so the midnight rain would be Jacob's perspective. And so I think there's, I believe that's Wait. what the tweet said. Like someone who is a lot more familiar with Twilight, please feel free to correct me. But it was definitely like, from what I've been like reading, there was a lot of connections to Taylor Lautner with this. And I like part of me does feel bad because man, this just came out of nowhere for Taylor Lautner. Oh, like, yeah. so, like sometimes <laughs> you get multiple albums where you're like, all right, yeah, the usual cast of subjects. And then, Every few albums for Taylor, there's like this one swipe at Taylor Lautner. You're like, oh, oh, God, that came out of came from a fucking memory box right there. Yeah, I, my understanding is this is definitely about Lautner. I could see yeah, that. I, I after that explanation, I'm sold. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next one is question. Can I ask you a question? Did you ever have someone kiss you in a crowded room? Sonic, I know that you have. <laughs> A qualm <laughs> with the chorus. I'm, I'm like, okay, listen, I'm so hot and bothered about this <laughs> because I feel like personally attacked. <laughs> what? Like, like, I don't even know why, like, honestly, but I just, like, my brain can't even, like, comprehend this happening because I would, like, lose my mind. If I kissed a guy in a crowded room and all of his friends started laughing. 
even if 15 seconds later they were clapping i'm out like like what's going on i'm just like not sure the picture that she was trying to paint and yeah like why would somebody be laughing about you kissing somebody and then you're clapping like that's just a specific memory or like it's just just like yeah i'm just like who is this actually happening like the clapping part i get it the clapping part i get right like laughing eric please help us out so my understanding my like once again my my view on this uh part of the chorus is specifically like almost like they were drunkenly making out in the party and people were making fun of her not because like it was the they're making fun of who she was kissing or who the guy was kissing but like like oh they're finally kissing like they're drunkenly doing oh my god like ha 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 they're finally doing it and then they start clapping when they realize oh my god these two are actually finally kissing Mm -hmm. that's kind of what i got from this but a lot of the other motifs from the song are a lot about like oh i hope you don't get over me i hope like any situations you have with people after me are worse and all that so it can go a lot of different ways but i will note this song also does what we talked about earlier in terms of starting off sounding like another song it begins with an inter an interloping of um out of the woods and so Mm-hmm. Once again, she's really playing back to a lot of her previous songs to try to set the tone. Yeah. And that kind of gets into one um distillation I saw of the album that someone had was whereas like 1989 was obviously her heading to New York. It really starts off, Welcome to New York. This is the album with the big city in her rearview mirror. And she's like reflecting on her memories and insecurities while living there while she's heading on to do other projects. I'm not sold, but I see your point. <laughs> I'm just like, it could be. Yeah. But at the same time, I just I just was listening to the song and I was just like, I, I don't know what this is about, yeah. but okay. But the track after that is quite interesting. Vigilante shit. I don't dress for women. I don't dress for men. Lately I've been dressing for revenge. I mean, where do we begin? She starts off saying, draw the cat eyes sharp enough to kill a man, which she no doubt thought was really clever. No, it, it's very, it's very, like, I kind of like, like it, but it's also kind of cheesy. <laughs> so I think it's very, like, better than revenge. Speak now era energy mixed with, like, reputation, like, cool girl, but, like, still, like, writes, like, slightly cringy Instagram captions, you know, like, this song is for millennials who were wanting a 2014 Tumblr Taylor era, mm-hmm. and she delivered with this. I really like this song. I, I think lyrically it's strong. I think mo- thematically it's strong. I think sound-wise it's really strong. It, it is easily one of my favorite songs from the entire album. I love whenever Taylor does anything related to the concept of vigilante, like, handing someone their due like very much similar to the themes from nobody no crime and i think especially over her last few albums she's frankly at her best when channeling that and it really plays off of as you said the themes from reputation better than revenge and i think she's always really excelled when she's talking about her life and her music from that perspective but one thing that to me that stood out which so for I know, Liddy, you know this. 
I'm also a big Formula One fan. As Midnight's dropped, the Formula One Twitter teams are really, really in tune with pop culture in a way that's kind of disconcerting. And multiple teams are talking about, like, they're all Swifties and all that, which was really <laughs> weird. Like, to see the the yellow Ferrari logo talking about how they're Swifties. Just like, you're an Italian automaker. What is going on here? But to me, one thing that has been just like wrecking my mind at the intersection of Formula One and Taylor Swift is before the 3 a.m. edition came out, Midnight's was 44 minutes long, which for anyone listening to this who is a Formula One fan, you'll recognize that as Lewis Hamilton's number 44 on his car. And he's considered to be arguably the greatest Formula One driver of all time. And there's a lot of similarities between like Taylor's position in the music industry and Lewis's position in Formula One. Uh, the Mercedes team, which Hamilton drives for, uh, seized on that. I was like, oh yeah, we did notice that the album's 44 minutes long. And then in Vigilante shit, she specifically references a Benz, a Mercedes Benz. Oh my so God. my question out there is like, I'm like, Taylor you have caught my attention if you listen if you watch formula one are you a lewis hamilton fan like please <laughs> let us know because i've not been able to stop thinking about this since the mercedes scene connected the dots and i just need answers that's so funny but on top of everything else that this song does it has easily i think it's probably my favorite song of the album if not second favorite no it's one of my favorites too when the album was first announced, I was hoping we were going to get more shit like this. Like, it yeah. doesn't sound like anything she's really done before. Like, it has elements of those prior albums, those prior sounds, but it's something completely different. It's broody. It's dark. It's all about revenge. It's got a lot of, like, interesting synths in the background. The one thing is, like, I wish it was, like, a little more, like, I wish it built up a little bit more. Like, yeah. I felt like it was a little, a little too chill. Like, I wanted a little more, like... It was like very like, cool girl energy, but, like, mm -hmm. I'm going to kill you, but, like, not actually getting to the murder part. But, no. this right, is it's, like, the build-up yeah. to the murder. Yeah. The build-up to the murder. Uh, but, yeah. Really loved this one. I would listen to this again. Next is Bejeweled. Best believe I'm still Bejeweled. When I walk in the room, I can still make the whole shimmer. First of all, I thought that Bejeweled sounded like getaway car. It did. Like the way that it kind of like built up and the, the same key, same synths. And I hated the way that she sang like, make the whole world shimmer. Like I just hated her vocal delivery on that. It just was not for me. Yeah, this very much sounded like Getaway Car. This... To me, this sounded the most like a 1989 song on here. I agree. Yeah. I didn't mind this song. It didn't, it wasn't like standing out, but I, I was like, hmm, it's like fun, I guess, but not memorable. Yeah. I feel like this is the point in the album where I feel like I came across, at least for me, like the most skips, like at least songs yeah. that I would personally skip. And this was one of them. And the next one is one of those two, Labyrinth. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, I'm falling in love. Oh no, I'm falling in love again. I, I've listened to it twice. I still don't remember what it sounds like, but I remember it sounded like daylight in the sense it's like really like 
chill and like ethereal sounding, but it's just kind of like a boring love song. I really liked Labyrinth. Once again, definitely an indictment of myself of how heavily I relate to some of these lyrics, but I, I think the whole image here about falling really fast and hard for someone, but she's like, am I ready for this? She convinces herself that she is ready and she's going to find comfort in this. And then as we know through a lot of her music, it kind of goes spiraling out from there. And just that constant repetitive pattern of that is something that not only she goes through, a lot of her fans go through, uh, perhaps some people on this podcast right now go through. And it's something that like, it is emotionally draining. And so like here, this song to me was very like, okay, very like, acknowledging of what quite a few people go through when they are especially like for us the group of us right here right now in our 20s it's a very common feeling especially coming out of this pandemic oh yeah so i think this is a very like affirming song i feel like i need to go back and listen to this song now yeah i feel like (laughs) Now I need to listen to it with that lens because that's not, I, I don't know, I didn't listen to it through that lens. But maybe I do need to recheck that out. But then the next one is Karma. Karma is my boyfriend. Karma is a god. Karma is the breeze in my hair on the weekend. I like the production. Yeah. Like, I think that the song is very well produced. It's so fun. It's poppy. It's interesting. It kind of has some darker elements to it. But it, She's singing, karma is my boyfriend, karma is a god, karma is a cat purring on my lap because it loves me. What? <laughs> what? Oh, and Spider Boy. Spider Boy. She says Spider Boy. And I, I had to play it back. I had to be like, she did not just say that. And I rewinded it and I was like, what does that mean? Here's the thing, right? It Like, if you just listen to the song and don't think about the lyrics... It's, like, so easily, like, a fan favorite. So easily. Like, I think this could have been the lead single. Put in any other lyrics. This song would be a hit. Even if there are, like, the other songs on this album where, like, the lyrics are very literal and basic, it still would have worked because of how good the production is and how, like, this this could have been, I think, the album's lead single. I think it has that potential. It's got, like... TikTok value. It's got like rate like playing on the radio value. It's got like party song that like everyone sings to value. She also loves talking about karma. Yeah. She loves talking about karma in her songs. She's mentioned it in interviews. Like what do you think is the most important life lesson for someone to learn? That karma's real. This is very much something where that that entire chorus about her saying karma's my boyfriend, karma's got she's saying karma's on her side. She's listing off all the positive things in her life and saying that's karma. Like I'm close with karma because I've gone through so much and karma has rewarded me in this way. And especially when you get to the end, she she's like, oh, you wouldn't understand this side of karma because you only get the bad side of it because you try to bring other people down. Yeah. So I guess moving on from karma, the next song is Sweet Nothing, which was co-written by... Joe Alwyn, again, he's back on as a ghostwriter on this album. They said the end is coming. Everyone's up to something. I found myself running onto your sweet nothing. All I wrote down for when I was taking notes about this, all I wrote down was skip boring. 
I did not feel anything for this I song. I liked this one. I, I love it. Considering that, like, he and Taylor wrote Betty together, and, like, Betty's so good. <laughs> but if I just showed up at your party, would you have me? Would you want me? I didn't like this. I didn't vibe with this. But that's just me. This is my personal opinion. <laughs> Come for me. I I liked this one a lot. No, I I this was this was like what I needed and I had to listen to 11 songs before I got to this point. Um I I just loved like how it sounded like lullaby like kind of. Um I think her voice was so soothing in it. I think the lyrics this is this is where like I think like like simplicity and works because the simplicity of the lyrics allowed the emotion in her voice to flow so much more freely I think and like all you ever wanted from me was sweet nothing I was like got it (laughs) I completely agree I think this is also like talk about a healthy song yeah a song completely devoted to a healthy relationship which is not something a lot of Swifties are used to hearing from her, frankly. Like, we always get these ballads of disastrous situations she's been in. And to me, the it's verse two that it's, on the way home, I wrote a poem, you say, what a mind, this happens all the time. That's literally her referencing how Joe constantly affirms her, like, praises her, and encourages her to be her best self in a way that clearly like some of her previous partners had not done that yeah and i think this is really just doing justice to a healthy relationship which is something taylor like i'm so happy she's there and what we're on what year six of their relationship or something like that now yeah yeah like this is such a healthy scenario for her and I think, once again, it's she's just putting that out there as her personal view on things right now. And the fact that Joe came on as a co-writer on this song, it's really just a testament to the strength of their relationship. And I, yeah, I think thematically, this is absolutely probably my favorite song and just how it really shows what a healthy relationship can be, especially for people who are very hard on themselves mm-hmm. about, will I ever find the right partner? Am I a burden to other people? Do I have to work on myself? Am I a good partner in general? Where it's like, sometimes you just need a reaffirming voice. Yeah. I also think it's just like, I think she did a good job of like, getting the emotion of like, the confusion and the clarity that comes from being in a relationship with someone and that relationship coming to an end, but also like having like, I understand what happened. I'm grown. I'm mature. It's not, oh my God, I hate you. (laughs) that that's not the energy that she's bringing yeah all right and now so this is the last track on just the original album we're gonna there's one bonus track that i did want to talk about after this but the last song on the album is mastermind i laid the groundwork and then just like clockwork the dominoes cascaded in a line what if i told you i'm a mastermind i liked this one me too I liked this one a lot. The production is phenomenal. I feel like the, the way that it sounds, like it's just something that I would like bump in my car if I was like driving at night on a dark road by myself, just going down the highway. Like that's what it sounds like to me. 
And I was just like, I wish she didn't put this last. Why? <laughs> I kind of like that it was last, though. I really like it when albums end on, like, a high note, especially after um, after Sweet Nothing. Oh, yeah. It definitely needed a pickup after. Like, yeah. the pickup. And, like, I think, honestly, I think it was just, like, a really good, like, I don't know. It's, like, almost like when you watch a play, right? And, like, it's, like, the last, like, finale song that they do that just, like, is high energy encapsulate all of the different emotions that you've like felt yeah i i was a big fan yeah i really like the song i think it's such an interesting theme for the rest of her music where so many songs she kind of puts on this like oh we fall in love accidentally especially like uh from lover where she talks in a uh, paper rings where she's like, oh, we were kind of just friends, accidentally turned into lovers' arcs, stuff like that. And she's saying here, like, oh, no, I knew the entire time. And at the end, she kind of even reveals that her partner in the scenario also knew that they were, they both thought they were, like, playing this mastermind game of chess with each other. But no, they were just into each other. Like, they kind of just made it work. Yeah. It's really this brilliant narrative about how a lot of people frankly view courtship and dating where they are both a lot smarter than they give off but they also think they're a lot smarter than they actually are when it comes to this it's also frankly like while it's still fundamentally about like falling in love and both people realizing this and having these calculated plans for each other it's also her talking about her her status in the music industry like, she didn't accidentally fall into this level of stardom, like, going back to the Scooter Braun fight. Like, think about how she's turned that what could have easily killed another artist's career, or how that artist could have been forced into continuing to work with Scooter Braun. She took her old music, re-recorded it, and made it bigger than ever. Yeah. Across the world. Like, think about the tens of millions of people that were up late watching the all too well 10 minute version music video like i remember where exactly where i was watching that and that's something that not a mastermind could pull off she's kind of like she is kind of engorging herself and acknowledging she's a genius but like she actually gets to do that at midnight when this album dropped she knew exactly what she was doing it became the largest spotify stream album on day one on day two, in the day two one, I thought was even more important when it overtook um, Kanye's album, Donda, for largest second day streaming. And if that isn't personal, I don't know what is. Yeah, who knows what else she's going to do? Because, yeah, then she surprised us all again by dropping seven bonus tracks at 3 a.m. after she dropped the album at midnight. And everyone was overwhelmed. <laughs> Again, I think it's interesting. It, it, it's interesting how, like, going into, like, the mastermind thing, that, like, she had the confidence that her fans would, or enough of her fans would still be up at 3 a.m. listening to her album for her to drop these additional songs. I was not believing the hype about new songs. I was not expecting the double side of the album. I was not expecting that. Who did? I went to sleep at about... 1 a.m. after listening to the album thing like all right really solid album i need to sleep for work in the morning i wake up to like 50 different texts from friends going holy shit eric <laughs> she released more songs i'm going oh my god how did i miss this and it's not like i don't stay up till 3 a.m anyways it's once again if anyone watches 
Formula One here, American fans are used to staying up till 3 a.m. for some races. And so I was like, I was like, I cannot believe I missed this. And yeah, you're right. She had the confidence. She <laughs> was a genius to do this because she knew she'd still make a fucking banging off of it. Oh, yeah, 100%. And especially considering that one of them is like very explicitly about, well, allegedly, but there's a lot of allusions to it being about John Mayer and her relationship with John Mayer. It's called Would've, Could've, Should've. This, I feel like, was kind of a, like her dipping a toe back into that folklore sound that I really love. And the lyricism here is wonderful. Her vocal performance here is wonderful. The song is just so smooth and it just, it's telling a story. It's what, that's what she's good at. She's good at telling stories. And I wish that this song was on the main album. I feel like one of the songs that I felt like could have been skipped, for example, like something like Bejeweled could easily have been switched out for something like this. And yeah, I loved it. Really wish it was on the main track list. I'm going to push back on this wanting to be on the main album because it's not about whether she would have, could have, should have. It's she, there was no other way for her to release this song without it being track 19 because it's literally about her relationship at 19 with John Mayer on an album originally released with 13 songs. She's currently at the age 32. Take away 13 from that, you get 19. Oh my God. <laughs> oh There's no God. other way this song could have been released other than it being track 19 on an originally 13 song album at the age of 32 and i see that that's a lot this is a lot much more damning of john mayer than dear john was and fans are already expecting an extended version of dear john like in the future when that re-release comes out he better start getting his will in check like this man like he this is gonna make all too ultimate version it's gonna make what frankly what happened to jake gyllenhaal look like child's play yeah and this song really like sets us up for like why like that needs to be the case because whereas like you could argue the relationship between taylor and gyllenhaal was like a messy relationship that he wasn't a great partner for her this what she's describing here what she's describing dear john is so much worse i mean she says if it was some paint did it splatter on a promising grown man and if i was a child did it matter if you got to wash your hands like ooh, yeah oh and give me back my girlhood it was mine first sheesh <laughs> but see like that's what i mean when like she made this song clearly about a person in her life a thing that happened to her a relationship she had but she turned it around and made it something that like everybody can yeah. relate to to something like that. Like, yeah, I know that there are definitely girls out there that felt the same way. Yeah, you know, and like that's I think like the universal appeal of her music. 
once again, she's a mastermind. She is. If there's one conclusion to come to, it is that Taylor Swift is the entire mastermind, and she knows what she's doing, and she is playing all of us. Mm-hmm. That's a good note to end on. <laughs> That's a perfect note to end on. Yeah. Thank you so, so much for joining us, Eric. This has been absolutely wonderful. I've learned so much from I've you. I've also <laughs> learned so much. Like, now I'm going to go back and listen with those perspectives in mind. It's an absolute pleasure. I guess we'll just kind of close things out. Thanks, everybody, for listening to all of our opinions. <laughs> These are our opinions. Yeah. Listen and form your own. Let us know your thoughts. We pay attention to your comments and your DMs. So come to the Pop Rocks and Tea Pod Instagram. And that is our handle, Pop Rocks and Tea Pod. Meet us at midnight. <laughs> we want to hear from you. And also don't forget to follow and subscribe on whatever streaming service that you are listening to us on, because that will let you know when we have new episodes out. And that supports us so definitely do that but yeah until the next episode get some pop rocks drink some tea and um um don't dress for women don't dress for men go out and dress for revenge folks there we go all right Aaron. <laughs> there we go period Alrighty, everybody bye, bye.